Thank you, Kirk, for reading our scripture tonight. We are looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper. I want to begin our lesson tonight by calling attention to what Matthew records about the institution of this memorial feast. In the shadow of the cross, Jesus instituted this memorial feast. And of course, the purpose behind that was to call to mind on a regular basis his death on our behalf. So I want to read for you the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. For nearly 2,000 years, Christians have been observing the Lord's Supper. Every first day of the week, we have the opportunity to come together to worship God. We do so in song, in study. We pray, we give of our means, and then in a very special way, we remember the sacrificial death of Jesus on Calvary. There's something to be said for a memorial. Memorials are important, and the intent is to call to remembrance. And so what Jesus was doing in instituting this memorial feast was to remind us, remind people of all ages, the sacrificial death that would occur just outside the walls of Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago. Now in Acts chapter 2, when we read about the establishment of the church, the Bible tells us that some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel on that day. In verse 42, Luke said, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, and in the breaking of bread and prayers. I think one of the things that was characteristic of the early church was their weekly observance of the Lord's Supper. So tonight I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There are really three basic things I want to share with you, with you tonight. And the lesson tonight, I hope and pray, will help us better appreciate what the Lord did for us on Calvary. The first thing I want to call attention to as we partake of the Lord's Supper, there is a call to look backward. Listen now to what is recorded for us by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. Paul said, For I received from the Lord Jesus that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. 
And then he said, do this in remembrance of me. So first and foremost, we are to remind ourselves of the sacrificial body of Jesus. Jesus, as you well know, bore our sins in his body on the cross, as Peter would say, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. Now, as we partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week, and as we reflect back on the cross, one of the things that I try to do is to remind myself of certain passages of Scripture that would accentuate the body that was given for us. Now, maybe you do the same thing. Maybe you do something different. But there are certain passages that help me to remember the fact that Jesus gave his body on Calvary for me. I mentioned a moment ago, 1 Peter chapter 2. In chapter 3, in verse 18, Peter would also say, For Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. And then he said, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, you remember the writer in chapter 10 talks about the insufficiency of those Old Testament sacrifices. That they did not have the ability to remove sin. There was a remembrance made of sin every year. Well, in Hebrews chapter 10 and about verse 5, the writer said, Sacrifice and offering you would not, but a body you have prepared for me. And then, going all the way back to the book of Psalms, the writer said, In the volume of the book it is written of me, O Lord. I come to do your will. Jesus, of course, had a body prepared for him, where? In the womb of Mary. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus inhabited a human body. That body was given for our sins on the cross of Calvary. You can go back to Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 53. The prophet there, in a very vivid way, talks about the sacrifice of Jesus. And interestingly, the writer pins chapter 53 about the suffering servant in the past tense as if the event had already occurred. He said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And he said, with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah there writing about the suffering of Jesus and he's writing some 700 years before the event ever occurred. So first and foremost, we remember the body, that sacrificial body given for us on Calvary. But then secondly, we are instructed to remember the sacrificial blood given for us on Calvary. So pick up with me if you would and note what Paul writes in verse 25. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now note if you would, two times, Paul is saying here, 
that we partake of these elements in remembrance of Jesus. So what about the sacrificial blood of Jesus? Well, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. We understand the importance of the death of Jesus on Calvary and the shedding of his blood. There are many verses that come to mind. I think about the fact that Peter speaks of the blood of Christ and he calls it precious blood. Why do you think that is? Why do you think Peter talked about the precious blood of Christ? Well, think about it from this vantage point. If you had a child killed on the front line of battle, if your child were to give his or her life for the freedoms, the liberties that we enjoy in this country, would you not say that the blood that was shed by your loved one was precious blood? Well, we're talking about divine blood, the blood of Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter would say, we've been redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but in verse 19 he would say, we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Now, again, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, and we are to remember the blood that was shed on Calvary for us. We go back and look at all the verses that have to do with the blood of Christ. And really there is this thread that runs throughout both the Old and New Testaments. Signifying to us that our redemption was made possible through the shedding of Jesus' blood on Calvary's cross nearly 2,000 years ago. So, it was precious blood, but not just precious blood, but pardoning blood, purifying blood. Did you know that without the blood of Jesus, we would have no hope? Do you remember the song that we have sung for many, many years? And in that song, we ask the question, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Over and over again, the Bible talks about the blood of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul said, It's in him that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, John said, Unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. And so you think about the significance of the blood of Jesus. When Jesus instituted this memorial feast, he talked about the new covenant and the establishment of this new covenant. And he said the purpose was for the remission of sins. In other words, it would be through that sacrificial death and the shedding of his blood that we would enjoy the benefits of salvation. So all of us tonight who have obeyed the gospel, we have contacted the purifying blood of Jesus. And so as a result of that, we are in fellowship with God. We're in fellowship with the Son. We're in fellowship with one another, aren't we? And that blood continues to cleanse, cleanse us from all sin, as John would talk about in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. John said, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his Son, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. Now, there's a second thing I want to call attention to. 
First, we are to look backward. Secondly, there is the call to look inward. Listen now to what the Apostle Paul says. Pick up in verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats of this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. First, there is the requirement of examination. In other words, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're required to examine ourselves, aren't we? That's what Paul said. I want you to think for a moment or two about the heart of the Lord's Supper. What's, what is the Lord's Supper all about? It's about remembering the death of Jesus, isn't it? I said a moment ago, as I partake of the Lord's Supper, and you might, as you partake of the Lord's Supper, there might be certain verses that you look to. You might simply reflect back on the cross. You might think about a song that talks about the death of Jesus. But I think about specific verses that relate to the body that was given for us, the blood that was shed on our behalf. And I try to go through in my mind those verses over and over again every week because it helps me to focus and to think about what Jesus did on my behalf. Jesus died, and really... As we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's a very personal thing, isn't it? Individually, we all are called upon to reflect back to the cross. And so our minds are going back some 2,000 years to Calvary. And we remind ourselves of Jesus as he was nailed to that cross. I think about the soldier that stood at the foot of the cross and thrust that spear into his side. And John said in John chapter 19, verse 34, that blood and water came forth. And so, in a very vivid way, we think about what the Lord's Supper is all about. It's about His death, and it's about remembering His death and the significance of that. So first, as we think about this examination, the heart of the Lord's Supper, it it all centers around Jesus and his death. But then there's a second thing, and I think what Paul is saying here is that the heart is to be involved in the Lord's Supper. In other words, it requires mental engagement. You remember in John chapter 4, verse 24, when we talked about worshiping God in spirit and in truth? To worship God in spirit means to worship Him with the right attitude. In other words, we're called upon to engage in mental exercises, aren't we? In other words, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, 
my mind has to be attuned to what's going on. It's a very solemn occasion. It is a, certainly it is a memorial feast. And there is this sense in which I have to take my mind back to the events that occurred 2,000 years ago. And so it requires absolute focus on my part and on your part. So what about the heart in the Lord's, serve, in the Lord's Supper? Listen again to what, what Paul says. In verse 27 he said, Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now some, some people have, I think incorrectly, interpreted this to mean that they are unworthy spiritually of partaking of the Lord's Supper. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. I mean, when it's all said and done, we're all unprofitable servants, as Jesus would say. So you think on the one hand of our unworthiness from that vantage point. But I think what Paul is saying is that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's a very serious matter. And we're not to do so in a very flippant manner. In other words, when we partake of the cup and the bread, our minds are to be keenly attuned to what's going on. If we're thinking about the world and what's going on in the world, and we're daydreaming or we're passing notes or we're talking or we're, or, or we're playing with children, then... We're not entering into this occasion with the solemnity that the Bible tells us to. In other words, we're robbing it of its importance. And so the mind is attuned to what's going on. And so there is this weekly examination. But I think there's also this realization. And I want to talk for just a moment or two about this realization as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Listen again to what Paul said. Therefore, whoever eats this bread, drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. A couple of things here. First, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, doesn't it bring to mind the gravity of sin? I mean, we're, we are called upon to introspectively examine ourselves, are we not? So why did Jesus go to the cross? Was it for his, was it for his own sins? The Bible says he never sinned. Jesus went to the cross for people like us. He died in our stead. We talk about the vicarious suffering and death of Jesus. And the idea is he became our substitute, didn't he? Do you remember Paul? Him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So here is Jesus. He's come to earth and the angel of God announced to Joseph in a dream that the one who would be born of Mary, the one that Joseph was betrothed unto, engaged to, he said, 
She's going to bring forth a son. His name's going to be called Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. You remember Jesus during his earthly ministry? said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to, but to well, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister to give his life a ransom for the many. Or in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, when he said, The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to save people who were lost and dying in sin. So, the gravity of sin. Well, what about sin? The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 8, you can go back and read about Solomon as he dedicated the temple and the glory and grandeur of that temple must have been incredible. And Solomon said, there is no one who does not sin. Paul in Romans chapter 3 makes the case. In chapter 1 he said, look, the Gentile world, they're under sin. In chapter 2 he said, the Jewish world, they too are under sin. So in chapter 3, he said, there's none righteous, no, not one. The conclusion is, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, sin was a problem. All have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. And so in light of that, it took Jesus coming to earth to remedy the problem of sin, didn't it? Now, we live in a day and time in which the idea, the concept of sin has been minimized. There are people today, when you talk about sin, they would laugh. But look, sin cost God his only begotten son. And Jesus said that he came into the world not to condemn the world, but rather that the world through him might be saved. Jesus came to save. He came to seek and to save the lost. So as we partake of that memorial feast every first day of the week, one of the things that we're doing, we're reminding ourselves of the gravity of sin. It was my sin, my sin, that cost Jesus his life on Calvary. Not just my sin, but your sin as well. But then there's a second thing. Not only does it cause us to reflect upon the gravity of sin, but the greatness of salvation. When you partake of the Lord's Supper, aren't you grateful that there is a loving God in heaven that loved you enough to send His Son to die for you? Aren't you thankful that every first day of the week you can step back and think about the sacrificial death of Jesus? What was it Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Talked about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 when he said, I've been crucified with Christ. He said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then he said, who loved me. But then in a very personal way, he said, he loved me and gave himself for me. Let me tell you what, that's personal. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Don't you think the Apostle Paul went to his grave in gratitude for the death of Jesus? Because through Jesus we live, don't we? So every first day of the week, we're reminded of the gravity of sin because of my sin, because of your sin, because of the sins of the world. 
Jesus went to Calvary. Then the greatness of salvation, to know that there was a God in heaven that loved us enough to send his son to die for our sins. I would encourage you to go through the, the Old Testament, go through the New Testament, and just walk through verse after verse after verse as God lays bare his redemptive plan. It's an incredible thing. In the Old Testament, those great prophets of God, they were pointing to the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. And they were saying, in effect, the Christ is coming, the Christ is coming. And then you pick up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you have those writers saying, the Christ has come. And then from Acts to the Revelation, you have the Bible saying the Christ will come again. So you think about the fact that it's a very personal thing. Now there's a third thing I want to call attention to. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, first we look backward. Secondly, we look inward. But then thirdly, we look forward. Listen to Paul in verse 26. Paul said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, he said, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Have you ever thought about what a statement it makes to an unbelieving world? Every first day of the week, when we meet for the purpose of worshiping God in spirit and in truth, and one of the things that we do every single Sunday, every single Lord's Day, is to partake of this memorial feast. And what we're doing, in effect, is saying to an unbelieving world that we believe Jesus died and rose again, aren't we? What a, what a public proclamation we make every first day of the week. Because we're saying to the world, we believe Christ died for us. A couple of thoughts here very quickly. I think as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are to do so with an eye towards the return of Christ. Paul said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, he said, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Do you remember when Jesus ascended to heaven, assurance was given to the apostles that the same Jesus that ascended to heaven will return again. Over and over again in the Bible, we are assured that Jesus will come again, right? Paul said he will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And he said the dead in Christ will rise. And John said when Jesus comes, every eye will see him. When we partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week, we're reminded that through the eye of faith, the Lord will return. And then you add to that that we do so with an eye towards the reward that we will receive from Christ. I mean, you think about this. We've, we've been redeemed, haven't we? And the Bible says as part of the redeemed body of Christ, our names are registered in heaven, written in heaven. And because of that, we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. And Peter, 
When Peter wrote his epistle in 1 Peter chapter 1, he said that those of us who belong to the family of God, we have an inheritance. He said it is incorruptible, it's undefiled, and he said it fades not away, it is reserved in heaven for you. When we come, to the, come together every first day of the week, through the eye of faith, we think about the return of Christ. We think about the reward that we will receive from Christ, don't we? That one day, we'll all be together in heaven. Every first day of the week, we make a statement to the world that we are bringing to mind the death of Jesus, the sacrifice of his body, that sacrificial blood that was shed on Calvary for our sins, and we do so, as Paul said, until he comes. As long as the world shall stand, God's people will take, will partake of the Lord's Supper, won't they? And they'll do so to reflect upon the death of Jesus. Aren't you grateful that we have the opportunity every first day of the week to commune with the Lord through what sometimes we call the Feast of Vine? to reflect upon what Jesus did on our behalf. I would hope and pray that we would never forget the death of Christ, and as we come together every first day of the week, the intent is that we don't forget. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for your love and care for us. We're thankful for Jesus who went to the cross and died for our sins. And we're grateful that every first day of the week that we can recall the significance of his death, the giving of his body, and the shedding of his blood. And Father, we pray that we would examine ourselves, that we would partake of the bread and the cup in, in a worthy manner. And Father, we pray that you would be with us, help us to live in view of the return of Christ. And Father, we're grateful for the reward that we have that awaits all the redeemed. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Tonight, if you're here and you're not a Christian, we'd like to encourage you to come to Christ believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and you would willingly walk away from a life of sin through repentance, Confess his name before others like the eunuch did in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. Be baptized into Christ. The assurance is all of your sins will be washed away, Acts 22, 16. The beauty of that is you can be a part of the church, the ecclesia, the community of the saved. And the assurance being that if you live faithfully until death, the Lord will bestow on you the crown of life. If you're here tonight and maybe your life's not what it ought to be and you need the prayers of the church, let me tell you, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. We have the opportunity every time we come together to pray for one another. It might be that we're dealing with spiritual problems. It might be that we're dealing with physical problems. It might be we're dealing with emotional problems. But as God's people, we have the right, the opportunity, the privilege to pray for one another. So tonight, whatever your need might be, we encourage you to come as we stand and sing.